beyond infinity. Scott Morrison has been over in Washington being given the red carpet treatment mm-hmm. by Donald Trump and the uh, administration over there. One of the things that's come out of it is that Australia is going to allocate $150 million for Australia's contribution to a Mars and lunar landing to be undertaken by the United States, primarily mm-hmm. NASA, private contractors. But Australia wants to be part of that, mm-hmm. um, according to Morrison. He wants to triple the Australian space sector, which is currently worth about $4 billion Australian dollars per year, wants to raise that to twelve and add 20,000 new jobs by 2030. Right. So quite an ambitious program there. Also, according to a high-ranking NASA astronaut, Australians should be um, expecting to, uh, to find themselves on more missions as astronauts in coming years. So it could be that uh, you might have an Aussie permanently based up in the ISS uh, or even en route to uh, as part of the Artemis program which is the the sequel to the Apollo program a manned landing at the south pole of the moon Trump wants to do this by 2024 Mm -hmm. even people in his own administration within NASA say that it's very ambitious and quite unlikely that that even the funding I mean I think the key thing is the funding if the funding isn't there to address the fundamental uh, infrastructure and technology requirements to do that, mm-hmm. then it won't happen. Yeah. You might even see Australians on Mars. That's that's another possibility with all yeah. this. That's a, obviously a, an even so, more distant project to, so to land people there. Would this cooperative deal be more for supplying the technology, the resources here, or are we actually looking at people going into space themselves and so more astronauts in it from Australia? Well, I think it's that as well. I think that's what's alluded to by that senior American astronaut, Australia could expect to to uh, be seeing more Australians trained as astronauts mm-hmm. being launched on American rockets yep. uh, as part of, part of their manned space program. Now that has there is a history of that. Colonel Alvin Drew is the senior astronaut who worked on the International Space Station said he thought it was inevitable that there would be more Australians on f- future missions. Uh, quote: I would give you five years optimistically, fifteen years at the most. Clearly, the amount of investment Australia is putting into this civil space agency, they're pushing a big pile of chips in, and that's going to get us all there as uh, as a team this time. So it's it's kind of backslapping rhetoric, really, is what it kind of sounds like to me. But there's the potential for Australia to grow its space. It has its own space agency now, mm-hmm. and there is the potential for it to to make new jobs to inspire and encourage young people in particular to get into their STEM subjects, science, technology, engineering, maths, to qualify themselves to to be in the running for a, one of these new jobs, which is going to replace a lot of uh, jobs that are going to be lost to automation and well, robotics. And not just lost to automation, but also these the, these graduates that, that come out of it here in Australia and then go, well, where can I get a job? Where's going to pay well? Where, do, where will I enjoy? And then they move overseas because the opportunities are more overseas. So it would be great to see, you know, this fund be uh, used wisely and then to develop the, the agency here that will actually not just be useful for gr- recent graduates and graduates from Australia but even attracting talent over to Australia from other, other countries. Absolutely. The specific areas which Australia reckons that it can help out in a beneficial way Things like the Earth-to-Moon communication systems that will be needed. Uh, robots for use in space based on automation at mines. So Australia has a lot oh, of yeah. mining experience. Yeah. And one of the things, one of the key drivers to the private 
sector getting involved in the space industry, mm-hmm. and particularly in America, you think of SpaceX and Blue Origin and mm-hmm. Bigelow and um, Virgin, all these companies that have, have got in um, with big investments to try to get people on a private rocket, private space mm-hmm. hotel, whatever it happens to be, mining resources. Those are some of the key things that, that people want to do, mining resources, you know, yep. asteroids, yep. that sort of stuff, the moon and Mars, living off the land at, the, at one of the poles, the South Pole. There could be a lot of water there. There could be other exotic materials that we don't know about yet. Helium-3, I believe, is, quite, is, a, is a very expensive material and rare on Earth. There is some of it up on the moon. So there's things that could be useful from Australia's uh, expertise with, with mining that, that could be applied mm-hmm. to help the Americans tapping into the resources in outer space, whether on the moon or Mars or, or on an asteroid or elsewhere. Don't forget Rio Tinto has automated trucks now, yeah. uh, big mining trucks, they that drive, self-driving trucks. They kilometres away. Yep. Yeah, hundreds yep. of kilometres away. And they've away, saved yeah. a heap of time and, and made things much more efficient and brought costs down and stuff. So it's been very successful. That's that's one of the key areas. Mining, remote medicine is another area which Australia is quite good at, drawing on our delivery of health services to places like Antarctica and the Pilbara. That's another thing that we could chip in to help out the Americans. So we're not trying to do things which the Americans can do already themselves. It's not going to work that way. We need to be bringing to bear expertise that they don't have where there's a real win-win, you know, where we're actually contributing. Andy Thomas. He's an Australian astronaut, retired now, worked for many years for NASA, spent a whole bunch of time, spent uh, months on Mir, which was the Russian Mm -hmm. space station before the ISS. He he lived up on that when they they had a kind of a joint venture deal where where, uh, American astronauts, NASA astronauts were allowed up onto that Russian space station. It was a real tin can. It would have been pretty (laughs) rugged up there, but but good on him for doing that. And then he also did um, some stints on the ISS as well, veteran of of, uh, multiple space shuttle journeys so uh, he's a very qualified guy and he was asked what sort of role would Australia be good at uh, and he sort of likened it he said you know look it's, it's probably going to be something like what the Canadians can uh, contribute or the Japanese oh, yeah. uh, contribute yeah. both of them have their own space agencies as, mm-hmm. as Australia does fairly, as, as of fairly recently and it should also be mentioned that that Australia is also um, you know looking to cooperate in space with the European Space Agency with the Japanese Space Agency with other which is JAXA uh, with other national space agencies around the world so it's not just doing deals with NASA it's now with its own national space agency, the Australian Space Agency as it's known, mm-hmm. uh, and the funding and the and the, the fact that that's now a sort of a, a proper entity which is focused on space and, and commercial possibilities of that, yep. uh, that these deals are now sort of falling in with uh, with other space agencies around the world. So it's, that's, that's been a, a really good development. Scott Morrison has made a few jokes like beam me up Scotty and all this sort of stuff. He said that that 150 million over five years, 30 million dollars a year, it's dropping the ocean compared with the Americans. I think it's you know the budget of NASA alone is is 20 billion yeah, a year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, US. This would be their pencil uh, budget, wouldn't so, it? You yeah. are, exactly. I don't know what make a space toilet or something out of it. I'm not sure. But uh, Scott Morrison in America, he said that the money could help Australian businesses support US uh, automation systems, build equipment for spacecraft, or play a role in minerals exploration. Quoting from the PM, we're pretty good at mining in Australia, he said before reiterating his government wanted to triple the size of the nation's space sector and add those 20,000 jobs in uh, related fields by 2030. 
he went on to say that space is about jobs as much as anything else. So I think that, you know, this are, and I guess what he's addressing is that one of the criticisms, the old age-old criticisms of NASA is that, you know, it's spending all this money on, you know, you're trying to find life beyond Earth. Well, that's a great philosophical question to answer, but how does it help the starving millions on Earth? How does it help the environmental problems that we have? How does it, you know, should that money really being spent somewhere it's locally? It's research along the way that, that's discovered the things, you know, Velcro and Teflon and yeah. so, so many different things. Well, and I yeah. think just, you know, as, as Morrison said, jobs, yeah. you know, in, a, in, a, in an era when jobs are going to be lost yeah. to automation and robotics, mm-hmm. and as we've discussed on this show, the CSIRO is saying that 40% of existing jobs now could be gone mm-hmm. by 2030. Mm-hmm. So to create a new 20,000 jobs that are related to uh, a space industry or the Australian Space Agency or it's... it's a uh, and likely in a remote area as well. You're not going to do that right in, in the heart of the city yeah. if you want, uh, you know, whether it be uh, telescopes or mining operations, that's going to be somewhere more remote in Australia. Yeah, I mean, look, we used to have, we used to launch rockets from South Australia, mm-hmm. from uh, Wimmera. In the 1950s and 60s, we used to have a far more active, uh, you know, homegrown space industry. We were launching satellites and were launching rockets and developing rockets. That all fell by the wayside. And then we have got a history of it. We also were instrumental in the lunar landing, the Apollo lunar landings. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Honeysuckle Creek communication station, you know, it was, it was the, the film The Dish was kind of all about that. Yes. But, but basically Australia's role was that, you know, because of our location on Earth, we were able to pick up the signals when, when um, Armstrong was making that historic first set and at first step. They were seen first here in Australia and then they were beamed to the Americans and then from there mm-hmm. around the world. Mm-hmm. So we've got a history of cooperating in that. One of those stated things that we can do from going forward with Artemis is to, uh, is to help with communications between uh, the Moon and Earth. And, and that's exactly what we did back in the uh, late 60s and early 1970s with the Apollo program. During this meeting that Scott Morrison had in America, we went to NASA and announced this uh, this $150 million for Australia's contribution to a Mars mission and to the Artemis project. He was shown a special gold Logie that was given to astronauts Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin in 1970 for their historic moon telecast. <laughs> so just as we give you know, an award for a TV show or something mm-hmm. that's popular in Australia, uh, it's the equivalent, it's the Australian version of the Emmys. Mm-hmm. So they, because of the, the, the huge audiences and the fact that it was the signal was being picked up first in Australia uh, and then sent off to America, a, a gold Logie was awarded <laughs> to the two astronauts. And, and I did quite like this Scott Morrison quipped that getting a Logie back then was a lot harder than it is today. <laughs> yeah, that was his little, little joke about that. There are going to be benefits of this kind of cooperation, and if Australia can get a, you know, if, in a way, get away with such a small contribution for the potential, you know, for those twenty thousand jobs and for for a, you know a lot of benefits to Australia to be part of this project to America. However, realistic or unrealistic, you judge the twenty twenty four target date for Artemis to be landing a man and a woman at the South mm. Pole of the Moon relies on so many things to fall into place between yeah. now and then. They've got to have that orbiting gateway space station safely in orbit around the Moon mm. to be able to do it. It. They've got to have the Orion crew capsule that's going to take people between the Earth and uh, lunar orbit. Mm-hmm. That's got to be fully tested and up and running. Yeah. They've got to have the SLS rocket, which is the, the, the equivalent of the, it's the successor to the Saturn V moon rocket, mm-hmm. a space launch system. That hasn't even been flown properly yeah. yet with carrying the carrying Orion. So there's a whole lot of things that have to fall into place first. But if this does happen, then uh, for 150 million contribution, Australia would be, uh, you know, that would be a bargain it's, for Australia. It, it's ambitious, but the, it all comes down to that 
but execution and we'll see how this government and, and probably successive governments go over the course of the next three to five years, I guess. And according to the Premier of South Australia, uh, he said, I know there are already a lot of young people getting super excited about the opportunities for jobs in the space sector. They're going to wake up today even more excited after hearing that we're going to be a part of the new NASA Lunar Project, which is running out over the next few years, according to the South Australian Premier Steve Marshall. According to uh, Australian retired astronaut Andy Thomas, he attended a big state dinner held at the White House for... Uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison, he said that it would be great if, because uh, Adelaide is the is the, uh, the the city where the Australian Space Agency is is based. He describes it quote as it's a paradigm shift for Australia. It's one of the most popular things I've ever heard of. He told reporters, but he did go on to say that he had some reservations about the 2024 moon mission as being a little bit overly ambitious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he said uh, from an engineering point of uh, a point of view, uh, it might get there, but it is the political view that is the big challenge. And this is really referring to the vagaries of the US political system and whether the funding can be secured because mm. Congress has resisted putting the sort of money that's going to be needed to develop all the hardware, uh, whether it's some of it for the private sector or because the private sector still wants to be paid yeah. by the US government. And he's right in pointing out those vagaries that exist mm. there, that, uh, that if, if they're not prepared to, to back this, and, and there's a lot of doubt about 2024 you know, being a, a realistic target for this. There's got to be a, you've got to have the Orion uh, crew capsule tested mm. and operational. You've got to have the SLS heavy lift rocket, the sequel to the Saturn V. That's got to be working mm-hmm. and tested yet to fly. Yeah. You've also got to have the Gateway Lunar Space Station in place in safe orbit the big looping elliptical orbit that they're that they're proposing for that that's got to be up there as well because that's where you've got to get flown to by orion dropped off there and then you get on your separate craft that takes you down to the surface of the moon that has an ascent stage like the original apollo Mm -hmm. system had Mm -hmm. and that takes you back up to the lunar gateway which is that space station in orbit i guess any delays at any one of these is going to just uh, you know yeah. A follow-on effect. That's right. Yeah. Now, even if the private sector's got, you know, um, Je- Jeff Bezos has shown a full-scale mock-up of his own uh, version of a lander, which which has kind of got a, a deck which you can put different things on. So you can have a, a crew hab there. You could have mining gear. You could have a rover. You could have uh, robotic equipment that's, that does things without the need for people. You can do away with the ascent stage mm-hmm. and just have stuff that's that's uh, the, the platform that would otherwise have the ascent stage mm-hmm. having other payload on it. So mm-hmm. it's a good system. It's a, it's a clever design but it's nowhere near finished. Yeah. You know, looking back at the history of the Apollo program, one of the, the most difficult things to develop was the, the lunar lander. Mm. It was incredibly difficult and it was behind schedule and they, they, they were tearing their hair out, they were freaking out about it. And, and in the end, the first time it was actually ever tested for a landing was when, was when Armstrong and, and uh, Aldrin landed on the moon. It hadn't done it before then. They'd been there, they'd gone into orbit, they'd done a dry run, but they hadn't actually touched down. Mm. So there's so much that goes into this, and I think that uh, Andy Thomas is right to be sceptical about this. Trump said that uh, that he, he, he claims a lot, a lot of the credit for, for this whole thing um, happening. He said his original attitude was that it wasn't so exciting to go to the moon, that we should be going to, the, to Mars. And then it was pointed out by, by officials and experts at NASA that um, uh, it's, it's a launching pad for Mars. So, yeah. uh, and, and then he, he agreed to it. So according to Trump, so we'll be doing the moon, but we'll really be doing Mars. 
The benefit of going to the moon is that uh, you you uh, get to rehearse and practice and um, and perfect all the sort of uh, technologies and systems. The safety, the engineering, yeah, the safety, yeah. the engineering, and 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 the um, just everything you're going to need to be able to go to Mars as a, as a longer term objective. You can perfect on the moon. You can also possibly kind of live off the land. You can you can process water that's uh, that may exist at the poles of the moon. You could process that into rocket fuel. You could process that into drinkable water to. Uh, to keep your people alive mm-hmm. there are benefits and then you don't have the the big gravity and you don't have the big atmosphere to get through if you're going to launch something to yeah. mars from the moon so there are some benefits of going back there and even though elon musk has been someone who said uh, let's not bother about the moon we've done it we've got the rock samples we did apollo we did six landings we did multiple uh, rovers and 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 uh, and and uh, surveyor landings high-resolution imaged and spectral analysis of the whole surface of the moon. So we've got the data on the moon. Let's go straight to Mars. Well, I, I'm really in the in the, the, the camp of, of Jeff Bezos, who disagrees with Musk. There's a lot of rivalry between those two people. But Jeff Bezos sort of said, no, look, you, you, you need to try your systems and, and go to the moon first and, and then perfect things. And then it's then it's then it makes sense as a kind of a, um, a progressive development of... of um, the approach to to first go to the moon and then go to Mars. So that's that's Bezos's attitude. Now, just briefly, there, there is a lot of cooperation between countries mm. uh, in uh, in their space efforts. Uh, China and Russia have recently announced their plans to co- cooperate on a lunar orbiter and landing mission. This is already underway. The Chang'e four lander, which is on the far side of the moon at the moment, it's got a rover as well that's powered by a russian-made radioisotope thermoelectric generator or an rtg and uh, this is used on a lot of uh, you know deep space missions so for example the cassini orbiter had one that used it as a power supply the curiosity rover on mars mm-hmm. has got a, a, a rtg for mm-hmm. its power source sometimes it's it's viable to use solar there is less risk during launch you know because you're talking about enriched plutonium so if you have a, an accident during launch of an rtg then you could potentially be sprinkling a, a, Uranium, a fine yeah. mist of, well, of plutonium, plutonium really yeah. dangerous yeah. Uh, material radioactive material uh, over a large area and in of Mars, land. the dust is potentially going to get onto the solar panels which there's nothing to clear off that dust so well in Mars yeah. there is there, there's been these little wind these um, wind these dust devils that have gone over and that's why the opportunity rover did so well they didn't okay. count on that they didn't know yeah, that that was sure. going to happen they planned on those things lasting for three months and uh, and doing perhaps 500 meters to a, to a kilometer mm-hmm. of, of distance covered that we know from uh, you know from it's, it's well documented now that those regular dust cleaning events went over the uh, the the rover decks cleared the solar panels and gave them much much longer life i mm. mean in the case of opportunity it was i think it was nearly 15 years mm. of active roving 40 kilometers odd i think it was covered the biggest distance covered by any rover anywhere that was solar powered, but generally speaking, it, nuclear power is a, a really good long-term reliable option. You can you can survive dust storms. Mm-hmm. You can survive on the moon, on the far side of the moon, where there may be a long, really long lunar night, mm-hmm. which you've got to somehow survive. You can't do that with solar. You've got to have a different power source. Mm-hmm. So that's an area where they're already cooperating. Russia's provided that to the uh, the lander and rover that they've got on the far side of the moon. But there are also things that they're uh, going to cooperate on, uh, research on ultrasonic drilling techniques for detecting water within extraterrestrial surfaces. And, uh, these have been carried out at Russian and Chinese universities. 
going to establish joint data centers, which will be uh, for lunar and deep space exploration, which will be located both in Russia and China. So these are these are the kind of long-term, uh, in-depth cooperation that they're looking at, but also. Russia's uh, Roscosmos, which is a Russian space organization, big one, it's involved with plans for that uh, gateway lunar space station, Mm -hmm. which has to be developed as part of the American Artemis project to get people back to the moon. And so there's a crossover there between Russia and, and America. The ESA has apparently been, European Space Agency has been talking with China and Russia about jointly establishing a scientific research station on the moon. Nothing's been signed yet, no decision's been finalised. The project has yet to be endorsed by the ESA or its member states. But that may be something that happens as well. And and at the moment, uh, China's had some problems with its long march heavy lift rocket. And that could be something which could they could be helped at mm. either by the ESA with its uh, rocket he- capabilities mm-hmm. or with uh, with Russia uh, with, with its um, reliable rockets as well. So there's lots of reasons why countries would cooperate for space exploration to keep costs down and to benefit from each other's areas of expertise. But I think that the thing that comes out of my reading on this is that the Chinese are by far and away the most resolute about doing things on the moon. I yeah. think that success of that Chang'e 4 land at the first craft land on the far side of the moon with a rover. Mm-hmm. It's, there's some great images and stuff that it's taken there. It's even found some quite exotic materials there yet to be finalised exactly what they are. Mm. China has shown that it can do that. It, it also had to have a, um, a satellite in orbit in a halo orbit so that the data from the far side, which is never pointing at the Earth, how did that data get back to Earth? Well, it needed this satellite in a halo orbit sure. to, to beam the data up to and then back to China. Mm. Uh, so China is, is showing some expertise. It's the country to watch. It's the country that if there's going to be another space race, race to galvanize uh, humans going back to, to the surface of the moon and then onto Mars, it could well be a US v China space race, mm-hmm. uh, just as the uh, Apollo program was was kind of driven by a Cold War rivalry between Russia and America, the, the next rivalry to, to push people eventually to Mars could well be a political rivalry. It'd be really interesting to see how this pans out. China's got all sorts of, of pretty advanced plans for things. They want to do their own 2020 Mars mission mm-hmm. and the Chinese. Chang'e 6, which is their next moon lander, involves France and uh, also has 10 kilograms of payload available for further international payloads. Be the second lunar sample return mission around 2023, likely to target the lunar south pole or the far side of the moon. China will then proceed to an extended phase of lunar exploration involving Chang'e 7 and further lunar landing missions. The aim will be to establish a robotic research base and carry out lunar resource in situ utilisation tests, bioscientific experiments and test rare gas extraction from the lunar regolith and 3D printing. These missions will include an orbiter, relay satellite, as well as landing and test craft, a rover and a flying vehicle. This is according to officials from the China Aerospace Science and Technology Corporation, or CASC, which is the state-owned main contractor for the Chinese space program. So they've got all sorts of very ambitious plans covering the period 21 to 25, and these will be officially formulated in China's next five-year plan, which is covering that, the period 21 to 25. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. 
That's beyondinfinity.com.au.